So, today on the podcast, we have three of the Ronin full-time staff. And this podcast is going to be about Gen Z in rescue. So, at Ronin, a lot of the people come in at an entry-level position. We run them through rope rescue operations technician, confined space rescue operations technician, SPRAT level one, fall protection, confined space entry, toxin monitoring, you get the idea. And then they go out and they run jobs for us. So we've got three of them with us today and we're gonna be chatting about what it's like being Gen C, Z, Z in rescue and how life's prepared them for this career field thus far. So to start with, we'll just go around the uh, table. Just introduce yourself, uh, how long you've been with Ronin and how old you are. I'm Jordan Niles, I am 26. I've been with Ronin since April 1st, 2021. Um, I'm Scott Pfeiffer, I've, I'm 19 years old and I've been with Ronin for four or five years now. Uh, hi, I'm Abby, Abby Bickle, and I've been working here for about a year and a half and I am 20. So it's interesting because well, I just was out at an event last night for people I served in the army with, and it was the 24th year that we've done this. And we didn't start doing it until after we got out of the army. And that's basically before any of you were born or when you were born. And so there's definitely a generational gap at this point in rescue. And so we might as well start off with, I guess, the, the big question. When you go on site, have you had what you would consider age discrimination because of your age being on that site. Who wants to, I see a bunch of nods, but who wants to speak? Remember, this is audio, not video. <laughs> I mean, I think all of us probably have in our own ways. Like, it's definitely different for Scott and I because we're younger and we definitely look younger than our other full-time staff, but... Um, and I've definitely experienced the other end of the ageism, yes. being slightly older and maybe looking a little bit older than the other two, that uh, I will generally get more respect even though I have been with the company for a much less amount of time with much less knowledge compared to the other people. Absolutely, and for Scott and I, who are technically team leads on site for a lot of the time, it's pretty difficult for us to go into a situation knowing that we're automatically going to be looked upon as the one who knows the least, even though it's the exact opposite. Yeah, I'd say for like 80% of the sites we're on, we have to kind of introduce ourselves and everything that we have so that the people on site actually take us seriously or we just kind of look like a joke to them. We definitely have to justify probably a lot more than most of the other people, and that is frustrating sometimes. Okay. Now, as I mentioned in the start, these folks, I mean, they've been here a couple of years, they have rope access, they've got thousands of hours on site. So it certainly is, you know, probably what's going on. And now, Abby, specifically, you're a female and you're young. Has there been any, what you would consider to be maybe sexual discrimination when you show up to some of these sites? Oh, yeah, 100%. It's kind of like a double whammy especially when I show up with somebody like Jordan or Tristan because they're obviously like larger than me by quite a bit. And yeah, definitely on specific sites, I can see when I arrive, people are slightly uncomfortable and they don't, they don't always know how to approach the situation, especially when I'm the team lead. It's almost even more 
uncomfortable for them because I'm young and I'm a woman, so they don't always take what I have to say as valuable as somebody else saying it. So it's kind of just, it's there for sure. Nobody's like said anything directly to me, but you kind of just, you see all the little things and you're like, yeah, they definitely don't respect me. Well, I've definitely overheard contractors over talking, like speaking to each other and they're saying, oh, how's this person going to get me out of the hole? Yes. Yeah. Well, we build three to ones. We build five to ones. We're going to get you out one way or another. And most of the time when I'm on site with you guys, like the newer staff, I'm the team lead. So it's not even a matter of like me having to go into the space. And even if I did have to go into the space, it's not like I'm carrying you out on my back. Mm-hmm. Like, we have systems not, in place, so I don't have to do that. We're not going to fireman carry you out of the hole. No, I'm not going to do that. Like, we're smart enough to find ways around that. So, mm-hmm. it's definitely frustrating, but nobody has directly said it to me, so I try to ignore it. Well, just to piggyback that, there's been a couple times where you've gone to the bathroom or something, and people have come up to me and said stuff that not appropriate in the workplace oh yeah and it's just like puts me in an uncomfortable position because it's like how like how am i supposed to respond to something like this to someone who i work with every day who i'm so sorry you have to go through that (laughs) (laughs) so i know a lot of sites we go to they want us to do a mock rescue do you find the attitudes change after you perform the mock rescue yes there was one site that i was on a couple months ago and I showed up alone. It was the first day on site, and these guys had no idea about confined space in general, just any of the precautions or rules or anything. And I remember in the email that Ken sent out with the information, the guy was saying, like, oh, we need a confined space specialist, like somebody who's going to be able to, like, give us all the ins and outs. And at first I was like, why am I, why am I doing this? Like, why am I going to this site by myself to do this? Now I got there and started talking to them and I realized, yeah, they know nothing. So like when I showed up and started talking about the paperwork and just like monitors and everything that needed to be done before they could even go into the space, I could see their eyes just kind of widen and be like, oh wow, we know nothing. Yeah, it's brutal when you show up on site and you have that one contractor that knows how to tie a figure eight. And they think they know everything. Yeah, they think they know everything. They took a rescue course in 1977. Yeah, exactly. And like then that next day they requested me to come back, which actually felt kind of nice because I was like, they definitely appreciated what I had to say and they listened. So that was good. But I did not want to go back to that site. And I'm glad that Scott had to deal with that. No, you shut them down the next day, didn't you, Scott? Yeah. So I was supposed to do a mock rescue as well the next day. So I was a little bit nervous preparing because I still haven't done one on site yet. Um, and I showed up and their mock rescue was the, uh, the supervisor for the site basically going through how to do my job. Yes. Everything step by step. I didn't have to rescue anyone. I didn't have to rescue anything. Didn't even use the winch or anything. I didn't use anything. No. And he was just kind of make like, not making sure I knew, but trying to teach me how to use a monitor <laughs> and how to use like a radio and stuff yeah. like this stuff that I've done a hundred, hundreds of times, but him just kind of explaining that made maybe him a bit more comfortable. And it's funny because the day before, I had to teach them how to use their monitors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they probably just verbal diarrhea to everything yeah. Abby said the exactly. day prior. Oh, that's what they did, yeah. But now, was that the one where you hit 600 parts per million of CO and said yeah. to them, maybe you guys should probably shut <laughs> well, this down? Yeah. Well, I wasn't even the monitoring guy that day. I was just strictly there for rescue, and they're monitoring. Like, I, I put our own monitor in just to be safe because their monitors looked like they were from 1990. And... <laughs> That isn't old to me, by the way. <laughs> yeah. They're using a little finch in a cage yeah. to, to oh. gas. 
Yeah, so they're putting in this giant, I think, jackhammer or something into this really yeah. small confined space. And I was looking at it like, this is gas powered. Like, it's not, this doesn't look like it's going to go well. They, they turned it on for about five seconds. It went up to like 100 parts per million CO. And I was like, hey, like, that's not looking too good. And I kind of other people noticed it. And they got it all sorted out. They got brought another jack in that wasn't supposed to bring as much CO into the space. Um, and then once they finally started up the second jack, I would say within two seconds, there was 600 parts per million in the space going up. And by the time I had to say something, it was probably about a thousand. And it was just, the monitor is blasting and no one seems to give one. Iota? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I had to say like, you gotta, like I'm not the monitoring guy, but if you, you don't stop this, someone's gonna die. Like, it's, it's going up too fast. It's funny because the day before when they were like, going through the run-through of what they were going to be doing in the space, I told them, I was like, that's going to be an issue. Like, having that type of equipment in this big of a space is going to be an issue. And they were like, oh, yeah, like, it'll be fine. Like, we got the fans. And I'm like, okay, like, do what you got to do. But So it's interesting. I mean, I think we're getting a bit of a point here where this is an experience-based industry, and you don't have to be 80 to have the experience in it, you know? You're on a lot of sites. You spend literally thousands of hours a year on sites. You get to see a bunch of different stuff. So from that point of view, how did high school, Ab, you got a year university. Jordan, you got a university? No. So high school and one year university. How did that prepare you for this particular industry? Not at all. Zero percent. Not even a little bit. Nope. <laughs> High school didn't have any trades training whatsoever. No metal shop, no wood shop, nothing. It was also looked down upon, and it was... Like, if you were in on the path towards trades, everybody thought you were stupid. Oh yeah, even, like, even the teachers would look down upon you. They oh, put 100%. all the every or the math at our school. I don't know about you, George. I was in the same as you. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was like it was called apprenticeship and workplace math for people trying to go into trades, and everyone called it A and W hamburger, hamburger math. math. Yeah. Um, and they put all the PE teachers who never had any what's the university word? Uni experience. Or, teaching experience and yeah. put them on the A&W math because it's just for the, the stupid kids. Mm -hmm. Two so, plus two is three. Yeah, yeah. and it's like I was looking at it and I would never take it just because of the, 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 the social, stigma around yeah, the it. Stigma. And yeah. looking at it now where I've been in trades for two, almost three years now, it's like maybe I, maybe I would have learned something from that if I there wasn't such a stigma. So, I mean, this is an interesting point and I won't, I won't go at it exactly, but I mean, I know what you folks make because obviously I pay you. And with your, the jobs you've been doing and the rate you get, you do realize that you make more than a first-year teacher? Oh, yeah. Yep. And so, I mean, I think this is a point to be made to kids that are listening to this from this era. These, the trades you actually can make some money in. It's, mm -hmm. you know, there, there is, agree. yeah, there is some money to be made here. Um, so... University, Abby. They said high school didn't prepare them for this university? Yeah, so I only went for the first year of university, and I'm supposed to be going back, but university is such a different experience. It has absolutely nothing to do with the real world. In high school, they tell you that university is going to be so much harder, and it's going to be like completely different than high school. And it is different, but it's still so sheltered, and it's not at all like working in the real world. It has nothing to do with that, and it did not prepare me for any type of experience that I was going to have on a job site or 
any type of educational experience is not going to prepare you for this type of work. You have to actually get into it, do the courses, put the time and effort into it to actually learn and improve that way. University isn't going to help you with this. It's just two completely different worlds. School didn't prepare me for the trades in any way, way, shape, or form because I went to a private school and I remember my very first job right out of high school on the very first day somebody swore and I was like you guys swear inside of here like (laughs) I wasn't prepared for that in the slightest I mean I think we were chatting before Scott's first job he was three days out of university and we were rigging with oh sorry high school and we were rigging with uh iron workers and uh I mean good guys I'd worked with them a lot but would you come from uh, high school background at 17 and get out onto a site that's run by iron workers, it's a bit of a different world. Mm-hmm. 100%. But definitely uh, a lot rougher. A little rougher. So, the training you've taken here, Ronan, other places, uh, you've done your firefighting as well, Jordan. Yep. Um, everybody here's done a SPRAT course, everybody here's done rope rescue. Scott, you did your trade safety coordinator. Mm-hmm. So, you've had some different experiences in training in these environments now we teach the fire training and it hasn't changed in the 27 some odd years that i've been doing it neither has the rope rescue like the actual training not so much the curriculum but the style the way it's delivered hasn't changed in almost three decades now you coming in you know more technically savvy than my generation was obviously you know, more in tune with, you know, online type stuff. Did you find that the training helped prepare you or is there ways that people can improve, training organizations can improve what's happening for your generation? Well, when you said that the training was three decades old or whatever, a couple of days ago, that was that was surprising to me because it, yeah. it seems it, like it works. It seems new and updated and honestly, going on to sites where they have to or where you have to do like orientations online or do courses little portions online usually are more frustrating than doing it in person because mm-hmm. whoever runs it is a zero IQ and yeah you're yes. spending eight hours on and a lot of those videos they seem like they're still from the 1970s yeah. like <laughs> so they're not putting a lot of money into their orientation packages no. is what you're telling me yeah and the online stuff it can be a little bit of a snooze fest sometimes you need somebody to almost keep you going through each slide. Uh, there's too many distractions online for mm-hmm. me personally. I like to do everything in person, hands-on. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that the way that you guys do the training, especially because it's done internally, and a lot of our instructors are people that we know, it's almost more comfortable than being in an online setting because you're able to ask those questions in person, and you're there with somebody who you already have a prior relationship with, so it's easier to get that knowledge that you need. And you can't, I don't think that you truly really learn things online. Like for an example, we just did some AutoX refresh training, and there was a day in class, and there was a day actually cutting up a car. And I missed the first day, I was there for the second day, and everyone was saying, like, oh, that's the pillar that you're actually talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't really grasp what was going on the first day because you're not actually seeing it for yourself. Yeah, you're just listening to someone who's reading off of a slideshow. Yes. Yeah, who's probably read it 20,000 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> to them, it's boring. To us, it's... A lot. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. a lot to take in. And, and when you're hands-on staring at a, a crushed car, it's, it's like, oh, that's what 
Yeah. That's what the slide was talking about. Like, it's so That's the pretensioner. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think um, with a lot of the courses, too, they're awesome, but it's not going to be like high school where you have time to catch up. Everything's done within a three or four day period, sometimes mm-hmm. a week, and that's a lot of information to take in every day. Yeah. And going straight from high school to that is very, very different. You're not going to get that same like time and just literally time. You're not going to get time to absorb everything. You're not going to get time to study. Like it's very, very quick. Yeah. Nobody learned how to destroy a car by sitting down (laughs) and watching a video of somebody destroying a car. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you bring that up, Abby, because I mean, we had some interesting conversations when you did your Sprat. Oh yeah. And I mean, when you look at Sprat, it's four eight hour days. So 32 hours and then basically an eight hour evaluation. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at like 40 hours over the course of a week. And if you break that down into a university parlance, which how long is the average course? An hour, hour and a half? I've minor 50 minutes. So that's 40 days of courses to get 40 hours yes. of training, which is almost a semester when you throw in yeah, reading breaks and all the rest of it. 12 weeks really, so that's it. Um, it's definitely very different, especially because going into these types of courses, at first, I had no training. Like, I went into Sprat, and I had never touched a rope. Like, I had never tied a knot. I didn't know how to do anything. And so that was a lot going in for my first course, especially. And so that one was really, really hard for me with no prior experience and no education for this stuff at all. But it was, it was good. It worked out. Yeah, I almost like that style more. Like, when you're in school, it's like slow. you spend six months just hour a day kind of doing this stuff but when you're in sprout it's like one week and then you get to go on the sites and actually apply all the stuff that you just learned and it's kind of like you don't really have time to stress about the test that's coming up or this or that because it's a full week of every single day your entire day is just focused on this one thing it's almost easier to by the end of the week have all the information instead of doing four classes at once and all these distractions and and honestly like I keep saying that it's very quick paced, but I also haven't failed a course yet. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're kind of put into this situation where it's very quick, but you're forced to comply and you're forced to kind of just take everything in and do it with a grain of salt because they know you're not going to absorb everything. Like they understand that it's a lot and they understand that you're going to miss things. You know, it's funny you talk about the Sprat course. You heard that I made Scott do it twice. Yeah. I made him do the course and then told him, oh, you can't test because you're not 18 years old. Yeah, on the, on the Thursday before testing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, these things happen. Well, the second time I, I blew through easy. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was part of it, yeah. So with you did um, Smartfire Training Division where you had a portion of it online and a portion of it hands-on. How did you... Like, I mean, I'll give you the, the difference, and I don't know if you're aware. Like, when I went through the academy, it was three months, full-time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you did that in a month of online and two weeks of, of face-to-face. Yeah, so it, it was a little bit longer than a month, but you have all these tests that you have to do and you're required to do. And trying to think back on all my training, I don't remember anything from the tests. I remember everything from the two weeks of practical that I did. Hmm. So basically, and I mean, this is obviously a skills-heavy environment. There's, you know, there, there is some knowledge base around confined space, but I think you pick a lot of that up on sites you doing do. as well. You definitely do. So what I'm hearing is we have to keep it as a skills-based 
learning environment. Go more do than talk. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember showing up to my TSC course and we're learning how to write up like hazard assessments, which I write up every single day for the past you know year and a half on every job site I've been on. And it's just like these people are having such a hard time just grasping what it is and what to... Because they haven't seen it in They haven't life. seen it. They haven't applied it to... There might be something there too, though, that you folks are a couple steps away from school. Like yes. when I went, uh, I still have to do courses here and there. And mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you the last one I did. Uh, actually, yeah, it would have been my SAR manager's course. It was like four days of a classroom environment. But I've continually tried to keep education up. But you imagine a guy coming in at almost 50 that hasn't been in school since they were 17. Now sitting for four days and trying to do that. So, I mean, maybe there is some benefit that you are so closely removed from school because that still process is still in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. And it's almost easier because it's like school like i was saying earlier it's eight hours a day where you're learning four different topics and doing all this stuff with all these different distractions and now it's like you do one course it's three days and spending half your day at it and then you're done you you pass it you get a you get the uh whatever it's called the certification also you get paid which is nice (laughs) yeah that's a bonus i don't get paid to go to school i have to pay to go to university and a little bit more pressure to pass yeah this type of education is almost better because you know why you're getting it for a lot of people who go to university or even in high school you don't know why you're doing those courses like there's no end point in sight it's kind of just like you have to do this so you do it but these are like it's three days. I'm getting this because it's for my job. I'm getting this because it's going to help me do better at my job. And or I'm get paid. a pay raise. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm getting paid, so why not? So speaking of jobs, you guys have been on a few different places. What is, would you consider the most interesting job? So for people out there that, you know, you've got peers that are probably still in university or coming right out of high school right now. When you talk to them and they say, what's like the coolest job or the most interesting place you've been start over here on the left (laughs) mine's easy to do it was my very first actual on-site shift and we were at the very top of the new gantry cranes at the port of vancouver it was a bluebird day you could see the island if you turn to the right you could see mount baker if you turn to the left it was an absolutely stunning day what are those about 300 feet those yeah yeah yeah. and like the access you get with rope access companies is insane you get to see a ton of behind the scenes sorts of things and that's that's personally what i enjoy about it but uh those cranes i mean you look down there's not an actual solid footing below you it's all just like steel grating so when you look down you're looking 300 feet down to pavement right and it's a little bit of an adrenaline rush when it's your first time up there mm-hmm. agreed 100 percent. that's a good one Jesus. You, you had to go back up, didn't you? <laughs> she had to climb the ladder up. <laughs> I had to climb the inside of that crane all the way up to the top. It's 300 pitch feet. Dark. And pitch dark because I had no headlamp. That was, that's, uh... <laughs> I had a headlamp and it died. And so I just was stuck in the middle of this confined space giant tower. That's that whole bring up. two sources of light yeah. with you. <laughs> I had my phone flashlight as well. Oh, nice. That was interesting. <laughs> trying to crawl up with that. Yeah. Scott, where's... Yeah, probably... Uh, Right when I first started, I was on patient. I was a patient on the Grimp team in Taiwan, and I've also been the patient for the Grimp team in Japan. But I'd say Taiwan was a better experience as a whole because I was learning a lot more as I was new. I built my first three to one with you on this. What would you say, like a four hundred foot bridge over this jungle with 
bugs that would probably eat you alive. <laughs> and just the, I don't know, just all this stuff in weird places we were rigging, and it was fun. Yeah, so where we were was the original... Uh, it's Chow is the competition over there, Grim Taiwan, and it's, it started. Chow is this bridge, I think it is bridge in Taiwanese, but um, and it's a, a suspension bridge over top of a gorge, and we had, I mean, to give you an idea of the length, you rappelled down a three hundred foot rope to ten feet from the end, and you were probably still two hundred feet off. I the wasn't ground. even halfway to the ground. Like it was, a, it was a massive drop. I remember looking at, I kind of started to panic a bit because <laughs> you're at the end of this rope and you're like. There's like five feet and then it's nothing. And then <laughs> if I keep rappelling, I'm going to die. Like, well, there's a dot in the end. Yeah, that's why you have those. But <laughs> still, then getting picked up, picked off and then put into a, a stretcher in the middle of like free hanging was definitely a wild experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Grimp Belgium, when I was the patient, was obviously an amazing experience and very excited to go back, hopefully. Um, it For was all the Belgian guys that are listening to this right now, the, uh, that run grip. Yes, yeah, it was an awesome experience and super, super fun. So many different experiences just within that one competition where, like, being the patient or not the patient when we're here most of the time. Like, we're worried about the rescue aspect, but being able to just, like, sit there and watch all the people who are more experienced than me work was really really interesting and it was definitely a great learning experience and it was a lot of fun so from that point of view and i didn't really think about it do you think it's worthwhile for people that are coming into the organization and starting out to have that experience as a patient are you learning enough stuff doing that? i, I think I you're think learning so. but i also think it's one of those things just to get you into the whole line of work like yeah and then once it's you do it once Hmm? good icebreaker yeah exactly it's like i remember like as soon as i was done being patient i was like i want to come back and rig all these ropes and yeah. be doing this epic stuff that everyone else is doing it's also nice because you kind of get the rescue e side of things like you yeah. know what it feels like to, to be, be dropped on. to be dropped <laughs> and stepped on to get like tossed in the lake just to like have your whole body be like rigid and you can't do anything so you have to trust the other people you know what it's like to put your trust into the rescuers and i think that is something that everybody should know did you get wet going across that oh yeah, oh, yeah I, <laughs> I was stuck in the rain i was stuck in some very uncomfortable positions and you kind of have to just like grin and bear it because it's for the competition but yeah some of the moves that they pulled i hope they don't do again <laughs> well yeah it's almost like they're they're doing stuff to save time but it's also yes. nice to know like okay when they drop you from four feet you know what it feels like yeah when, when there's hey hey we never did well, that. Yeah, we, did. I mean, we didn't do that nothing happened but yeah. um keep going though yeah yeah <laughs> like i remember just like telling one of the the rescuers like just stand on me like yes. that's the best way to do it and just feeling like his full weight just like stepping on me and it's like okay like I know what this feels like now like or getting your fingers pinched in the side yep. of the stretcher that's a good one yeah. like it you know exactly what to look out for so when you do have to package someone on a site like you know exactly what to look for when, what to not do what to not do how to make them more comfortable yeah yeah how was the, I mean it's a bit of an aside how was the traveling experience like you're obviously where COVID, you two specifically are the same age, you graduated as COVID hit. Yes. So your post-secondary experiences have all been COVID parameters. Mm -hmm. How was traveling? 
You're looking at each other. Remember, this is audio, folks. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, the travel aspect, I mean, obviously going to Europe for work was one of the best experiences ever, and I'm so excited to do it again. But, yeah, COVID definitely threw a wrench in things a little bit. Yeah. Especially, like, after when we were on vacation, COVID was just everywhere. It was always a daily thing to, like, think about it, and it was it was definitely kind of annoying, but it didn't stop us from doing anything. Except in Amsterdam, where COVID doesn't exist. Yeah, apparently. Amsterdam, COVID <laughs> they're, doesn't They're exist. locked back down right now, so yeah. perhaps <laughs> yeah. they should have existed a bit more. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So. But yeah, kind of the same thing. It's just, it just, it is what it is. It it's is, like yeah. It's right now, and... I don't really have anything else to compare it to other than high school and then so once COVID's done I'll know a bit better what I was missing out on I guess. If COVID's done. Yeah, if COVID's done. If this I, Omicron I grim- settles down. I don't think that masks were really a thing. Like I didn't see anybody during competition wearing them at least and I certainly didn't have to wear one as the patient which was nice but yeah, it didn't well, really... Well, open air environment. Everyone's yeah, open been te- air. Every like... single person's been tested. Exactly, there, everybody had yeah. been tested. So yeah. it was kind of nice to have that little, like, community where you didn't have to worry about it because it was almost like a break from COVID. It was nice. And could you imagine the party after? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> so, um, no, so a bit of travel there. If there's one thing that you could have changed coming out of high school, doing this particular line of work, you say, hey, you know, you should have gone and done this, or you should have had this experience or whatnot. What would that be if you could talk to your high school self to, you know, what, five years for you, Benoda? Uh, a little bit longer than that. I graduated okay. 2013, so okay. almost eight or nine years. Uh, oh. Honestly, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a great seven. Are you, are my you ten reunions coming up. I'm, I'm millennial. Oh, you are. Oh, yeah, my no. gosh. Yeah, I don't associate with these two. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, I don't know if I would change a whole lot. Uh, I went out of high school, I worked at a grocery store, but then I went right into trades. And I think that prepared me a lot for rope rescue, seeing, um, not necessarily rope rescue, but being a rescue technician and then working on trade sites. Because I know sort of the next steps as to what they're going to be doing when they're going into the hole. I know the uh, effects of using a grinder and all these other things and uh Small things like a generator exhaust can melt your electrical cord, right? Like, I know these these little fine things that I think really helped uh, being working as a tradesman. Yeah, I think coming from trades would definitely give you a leg up in this type of industry. It's way easier for people who have an understanding of that type of work to come into this because you're on those job sites whether you're doing that work or not. Like, for us, you're on those job sites. Like, it's good to know what's happening. And at mm-hmm. first, like, I had no idea what was happening. I'm going to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even well, know That's why we put you out with other people yes. at first that do know what's happening. Like, I don't know anything about that type of work. Like, I just haven't had that experience. But now, it's nice to have a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't do it myself, but I see it happen, and I understand the work now a lot better, which is interesting. Yeah. Same, same? Yeah. Well... We competitive swam like in high school and stuff, and I kind of yeah. wish we would have, or I, I kind of wish I would have stopped a bit sooner because you kind of get into this delusional state where it's like, I don't care about high school, mm-hmm. I don't care about having a job, I'm just gonna work my hardest and be the best swimmer ever. You get your like, Yeah, exactly, and you just get that tunnel vision, and it's like once you're out of it, and once you're done with the whole competitive sports, it's like, oh, 
I could have been doing this to make myself better prepared for this. I could have had actual jobs and would have probably set me up better for life. And come so, on, I had you sweeping the floors in here since you were 12. Yeah, <laughs> but let, let's say let's say I wasn't swimming. I'd probably be on jobs when I was 16. I probably would have been. Some, yeah, somewhere yeah, I've been doing, doing courses. I would have learned how to use power tools a bit sooner. It would have, it would just would have probably been an easier transition and a better flow into the working environment. I, I feel like definitely if, agree with that. I think that high school and university alike are just so sheltered yeah. and so separate from the rest of the world. Like it's just mm-hmm. a completely different world out there if you go to you i mean i'm not bashing university <laughs> i feel like if you go to university <laughs> though you're 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 that extra step removed from the real world and yes. how the real world actually works you have that knowledge the book knowledge but you don't have the street knowledge there's that classic example of school it never yes. teaches you how to do your taxes right it's the same thing with university i feel like mm-hmm. well, you Academia. see those memes right this is the book of, you know, what we do. And then there's another book in here. It's actually how we do it. Yes. Yeah. Like academia is very elitist and coming out of it and being in the real world, I've noticed so many differences. And I'm almost honestly like a little bit worried to go back because my perspective of the world is so different now. And I'm so less sheltered than I was that going back. It's called back, jaded, Addy. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got travel now as well. I've got so you travel know how the other side of the like, world works. I'm going to go back and just like, it's just not as important now after living in the real world and getting more experience and understanding the other side of things, the other path that these people could have been on. And it just, it seems so trivial and almost like sad that that's all that they see. That's all that they know. Because it's very, very sheltered. Yeah. Especially on campus. Because it's like a whole little community town in itself. Yeah. And I know, I'm not, I can't speak for everyone in university, but I know most of my friends right now are going to university off of a scholarship or their parents pay for all of it, where they have a meal plan and a meal card. Yeah. And the only thing that they have to do for four years of their life is just go to class. Yep. They don't have to worry about making sure they have money so they can buy dinner or yeah. taxes or paying for a license because you're all you're walking into classes. You just go back and forth. You don't really have any stresses. And I feel like... No, you don't. I, I feel like you're almost... Yeah, like what Jordan was saying, you're almost four years removed from life. And you it's are. just You're just finishing high school four years mm-hmm. later. You're getting to where... Like starting a job four years later. It just... Yeah, having both experiences has been honestly the best way that my life could have played out. Like, I think, I genuinely think that everybody should have some understanding of both aspects. And because so many people get the education that they need from high school, like, going to university is great, and you get a very different learning experience, and it's a very, it's a very interesting side of things where you can go deeper into what you think is interesting. Like, you can pick your classes for one. You can make your degree in a field that you're actually interested in, which is great, but I definitely wouldn't trade my experience with Ronan for that any day. Okay. Um, so for people that want to come out and I'm going to throw a firefighter in this, cops have to have a little more education. I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail for that one. But, um, I mean, they have to actually understand the law to apply it. Firefighters, we don't really have to understand the law that much. But, um, you know, paramedics, I mean, there's a bunch of, post-secondary and it's not that fire doesn't have medical training and what have you but you're saying like rope access technicians those type of people it's probably better to look at more of a trades route through high school university than it is to go and a true academic route 
through those if you want those jobs. Is that kind of the feedback I'm hearing? Yes. I think so. I mean, I so. you get to get your real life experience. You're not the whole four years of getting your degree behind. You're not leaving it with a ton of debt because your courses mm -hmm. don't cost as much and they're only about a week or two long. So you get to still work a lot on the side and uh, your job pays, I mean, in a lot of instances, probably just as much as you're as you would make with your university degree working in a trade, especially nowadays with everyone taking a desk job or working robotics. Yeah. Yeah, you get a business degree and then you're working at McDonald's. Yeah. Like... The only thing that I would say about a university degree is that you're a lot more comfortable. Like you don't have to put yourself into these situations that are uncomfortable. Mm. Working you with know. your hands sort of thing. Working with your hands, your being in, you I mean, know. forgetting your Gore-Tex jacket on a rainy day. <laughs> that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like being in those kind of uncomfortable real life situations, like you don't have to do that. It's a lot more, you're sheltered, you're inside most of the time, like you have an office, all that type of stuff. But yeah. I like to be outside and I like to do that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like, you got to pick and choose. Yeah. Like being outside, going on a helicopter for my first time at work, getting paid to go on a helicopter, that was fun. University gives you the knowledge, but it doesn't give you the power to think. I think trades give you the power to actually think for yourself I and develop common sense. I disagree, Jordan. Okay, okay. okay. Let's get into university, it. <laughs> university is very, very structured. You're right. There's a lot of um, profs who are not great at the real life side of things like they teach by the book but if you're taking specific classes like philosophy and psychology and things like that you have a deeper understanding of how the brain works and you have a deeper understanding of society as a whole and i do think that they give you the power to think for yourself whereas when you're in trades i see it a lot with a lot of the people that we meet on job sites they're sheltered in the way that they don't have that knowledge and they don't have that capability to think further than the life that they live. They don't have the capability to think about the future and think about those big subjects in life because they're so focused on what's happening right now in their daily life. Yeah. Like, that's I, it for them. I can agree with that for, like, for most of, like, the, um, like, the trades workers that, that hire us for on-site. Yeah. Less than, like, the rescue field, but... For the tradespeople I see on sites, there's not a lot going up on there. Yeah. Like, they're, they've been doing it for so long, and that's their life, like, to a T, that there's nothing else they have to think about. They only think about the day-to-day. -day. I can agree, but I won't argue with you. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Like, well, I agree with you. Hey, we, we, can argue. <laughs> we can argue. I'd love well, to argue with you. <laughs> there's, there's one point that I wish I could remember the saying about uh, a philosophy teacher and philosophy student or philosophers and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think I agree with you because you do come across that crusty old contractor. Crusty old contractor. Who's just been yeah. smoking and drinking his whole life. His paycheck goes exactly to those things. Yeah. But I think there's also a lot of people, myself included, that take the time to actually think about life. And it's, it's a mental choice that you take to actually think about your next steps. Oh, 100%. And things like that. And I, I didn't go to university to do that. I didn't. Fair enough. I don't count myself as a philosopher but I think that I do create a lot of uh, thought-provoking questions mm -hmm. and I didn't go to university to do that I worked as a concrete finisher my whole life and right? fair enough but at the same time like you're moving forward and you're not just stuck at that one concrete job you know what I mean yeah, like, you're not a concrete guy. Is, not a concrete is this guy. generational I agree, but <laughs> I think it could be generational. I mean because your generation millennial and Gen Z have way more access to the world than yes. my generation had yeah. 
Agreed. So if you look at someone that's my age that's going in and has done plumbing, they're probably very good at plumbing. They understand the, the building codes. They understand, you know, different plumbing aspects of life. They can plumb houses, but they were never exposed to the degree that you three have been to the rest of the world just through social media right. and the internet and everything else that comes. But there's good and bad to that. Like, at, for the older generation, like, for boomers and everybody else. I'm not a boomer. That's just I know, going I know. <laughs> I wasn't trying to say that you were a boomer. But for the older generations, I feel like it was so important to go to university, get a job, or go into trades and get a job and learn how to become an expert in that one field. Whereas now, I feel like there's a lot more pressure to be good at a lot more things and to broaden your horizons which is nice but I also don't feel like some of the people in our generation will ever get that good quality expertise for one specific area so it's kind of like six on one side half dozen on the other like our generation's good at multitasking we're good at having multiple different areas of expertise but we're not as good at those things and we probably never will be because we like to move on and we like to have a bunch of different things on our roster. Whereas going to one thing forever and sticking with it, you'll get such a level of expertise that nobody else will have. Well, this is an interesting waypoint. I was going to end it, but you bring up a, an interesting question. So I mean, I got on the fire department after I got out of the army, I was 22 years old. So I'll finish 30 years there and then off I'll run whether I have expertise in that's another conversation. Mm -hmm. Is that something that interests you three? Like spending 30 years at one job. I mean, theoretically, I changed jobs from firefighter to driver to fire yeah. captain, but I didn't really change jobs, right? I don't see an issue with that, honestly, being, I don't know if that's a millennial thing. I could totally be fine working at a job for the rest of my life, one job. And it could just be a personal thing, and also you're older than That's Scott. That's true. It, it could be a personal thing. But I'm, I'm hoping it's almost a generational thing, because mm -hmm. I want it to play into what you said about it being six one way, half a dozen another. Yeah, like eventually it all leads to the same thing. Like you're going to end up doing what you're going to end up doing. Like, so for you two, the younger two, I, is that a, do we, does that just turn your stomach like, like 30 years at one job? I, I cannot fathom the idea of choosing a hall and having to go drive the same road, the same street to go to every work day. every single, four times a week or whatever it is, four on, four off. I, I can't do that. And like, to me, it's like in five years, what if I, what if I'm like, screw it. I want to go to Singapore and work as an English teacher there. I couldn't be able to do that or I'd have to quit and. All the things I would that like to for. tack back onto what I said. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's changing his no, opinion. No, 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 no. My opinion stays the same, but for firefighting, it's different because every single day is different. You'd never know yeah. what you're going to expect. Oh, if I was going to a desk job for the next 30 years, I wouldn't do that. I'd yeah. blow my brains out. I couldn't stand that. See, <laughs> I think that maybe it has to do with, like, it has to do with age, I think. So Scott and I are both young, and we're both, like, this is only, what, like, the second year that I've been doing this, and I enjoy it. But I'm not ready to commit my entire life to one thing yet. I still want to see what else is out there. What if I decide that I'm going to be a dentist and I become, like, the best dentist in the world? 
I'll never know unless I try. There's still lots of time. <laughs> so it's like I don't want to tie myself down to one thing because I don't know if that's what I want to do yet. Is that a commitment thing with... Commitment issues? With, uh, oh, my gosh. Gen Z? I know your parents. Let's not even go there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think maybe it's just, like, the ideology that, like, in school they always told us, you have to pick something. You have to pick your career now. But I was lucky where people would tell me, you don't have to pick your career now. You don't have to pick what you want to do forever when you're 17. And I'm kind of trying to prolong that for as long as I can because I think it's limiting to yourself to pick something and just do it because. I think you should try a bunch of things and figure out what you like. It's funny how much life has changed and school has changed in between me graduating in 2013 and whenever you graduated because Mm -hmm. I remember exactly what you said. My teachers being like, you need to pick a job and that's what you're going to be. And there's all these stupid tests online. And I remember it said it was going to be a, a sanitation engineer. It was going to be a yeah. dump truck driver or a garbage truck driver for the rest of my life. Our well, teachers like, were like, oh, you want to join the army? Yeah, just just don't even bother filling out the rest of that. Yeah. <laughs> just go play in the corner with the crayons. Yeah. <laughs> that was literally like what it was back yeah. then. But it's nice to be able to have like, yes, some people from our age category and the people that we graduated with, they're on one specific path. Like lots of people at university with me, they know what they want from that experience. I'm kind of just going because I want to go and because it's something that I have the ability to do. But I don't know what I'm going to do with my degree once I get it. It's kind of just going to be there. Yeah. It's interesting for employers, like, because some of the guys and girls that listen to this employ people. Like, yes. And you've met them, guys from, like, Peak and, yeah. you know, things like that. And this is going to be, uh, issue's not the right word, but it's going to be a, consideration mm-hmm. as we move forward yeah right it's why we have Damien running more stuff here because he's 10 years younger than me and at some point that whole paradigm is going to shift mm-hmm. I feel like also like a lot of people in our generation it's kind of like I can definitely see like the there's some people I know that are I want to be a firefighter and that's where I'm going to be yes that's my life I can't wait to be making 100k a year guaranteed I'm gonna have a nice big house right down the street from my from the fire hall and I know a lot of people as well they're like it's in that grinding mindset like I can never do one thing I'm never gonna be satisfied by just doing this I need to be able to move up and move up and move up and move up until I find what I really enjoy and and both are fine like mm -hmm. both will probably lead you to a good life but at the same time like you don't want to like limit yourself and maybe that's just our generation is more idealistic and more dreamy and we like yeah, to I think too many we people... like to shoot for something that's like not completely realistic do you think that might be your age too it could be 100 i mean there's an old saying that you know like at 20 everybody's a liberal by 30 there you know there's yes. or you know yeah. you're born a liberal you die a conservative there's a bunch of different spins on that particular saying but i hope I hope that it's not, but it definitely could be. Yeah. Because it would be really sad to wake up one day and, like, stop trying. And just be jaded the whole time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I definitely feel like we probably got told a bit too much. I feel like every single person in our generation got told a bit too much. Like, shoot for the stars, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, 100% we did. But, like, at the same time. Dream big. We'll see what happens. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. And, uh. I appreciate that, and I think this will be good. Like, just for the people that are trying to get into the industry that are coming out of high school and stuff now, it's, uh, you know, it's probably very useful. And for the people that have to employ them, it is, too. There you go.
I think the rope rescue world is uh, an industry that I had never heard of before. Same. Uh, prior to working here. And it's, I wish I had heard of it sooner because it is a very rewarding and interesting job. Like you get to do a lot of cool things, go to a lot of cool places and it pays top dollar. Yeah. So. It's definitely a great job and I never considered myself going into trades because I was always told that I should go to university because I was able to, but this is a type of job that I could definitely continue doing for a while. And that's the other thing, like this job isn't nine to five every single day like you have some leeway and some like flexibility with it which is really nice you get some nice one hour jobs and then some, <laughs> some 20 hour jobs sometimes. <laughs> yeah yeah we're like i guess you've the that's you're the junior person here scott by age but the senior person of the three of them for work mm-hmm. you're smiling and that like you've worked in what three four different countries if you include this one Yeah, four, I guess. Yeah. Four different countries. And I mean, you've flown in on jobs. You haven't been on a helicopter yet, but you've been no, in seaplanes into jobs, lived yeah. in crew camps. Yeah. It, it's, that, that, was, that was probably the, the, one of the most interesting ones, flying on a seaplane, then catching this guy's like tiny little boat for three hours down this random river to get on a houseboat. So that's where we're staying for four days to go work on a barge. That was, that was a fun one. Yeah, if we can only say one thing about this job is that you get a lot of experiences that nobody else will ever get. Oh, yeah. No one else is ever going to no. fly in on a seaplane and get in some random guy's boat and drive. And if they do, that's their job for the next 30 years, right? We just get to do that. Just That's just a week at yeah. Ronan. Yeah, yeah. Cli- climb a crane and just get the most beautiful View. scene of yeah. the, um, the city skyline in Vancouver and just... Take a helicopter to the top of the mountain, go on some hike that nobody else will ever go on because it's in the middle of the forest. Let's talk about the better ones, though, like the, the poo plant. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody that's been at Ronan has been in a poo plant. And honestly, it's... Not that bad. No one else can say they've been in a poo plant. Yeah. So. It's interesting. It's not fun, I'd say, <laughs> but it's interesting. It's not exactly sm- clean. Oh. It, uh, and the smell, it never oh, gets it burns. Old. It burns into your nostrils. You, you never get used to it. Like, we spent, I spent three months there on my first year. Every single day, it's like, oh. Like, you just, you never get used to it. The amount of corn you see floating by. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, actually. People have bad corn diets in this country. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That's good.